We are in James chapter 4, texted you all out that uh, we made a slight change in plans and we are not covering all the verses that we said, we're covering two. So we are going over James 4, 11 through 12. I was making all kinds of notes on this passage and when I came in this morning and tried to compile them all into the outline, it's just there's no way it was all going to fit. So either I hurried through and finished it all up or we just split it up. So I just figured we're not in a hurry to finish James. So we may as well take our time and, and get everything in. So we're in James chapter 4, 11 through 12. We're looking at speaking evil against our brothers or basically coming into a place of judgment on others. So we call this, How Then Shall We Judge? Taking a little uh, liberties with the famous hymn, which if you know hymns, that will ring a bell. If you don't, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. But we want to take a look at what is speaking evil against our brothers and sisters. And he, of course, says brothers here. And if you hear me just say brothers, you know that I mean brothers and sisters. It is talking about those that are in the family. There is a, when we look at this topic of judging, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. And our tendency is to fall on one side or the other and not stay in the middle as it is with just about anything. So we're going to look into other parts of the Word of God to get an idea of what James has in mind and what we are to do here. Last week we were, last time we were looking at when God gives a blessing, when God gives a blessing and when something comes to us in our spirits, when something comes to us that is spiritual, it is satisfying. We are satisfied with it. But when our flesh goes and gets something, we're never satisfied. When our flesh is denied, we get angry, jealous, and envious, is what he was talking about before. And worldliness produces pride, but godliness produces humility. So we have to make sure we keep the worldliness away from us. There are a lot of little things that can pull us into more worldliness, and we need to stay away from it. Sometimes uh, movies can do that. We just kind of get uh, cold to some of the things, some of the language they use in some of the movies and some of the... Uh, some of the things that are going on, and after we you, you keep watching more and more of that, you get more callous to it, and it's more of that worldliness that can come inside, and we need to just uh, stay away from it. We talked about music before, and I gave that clarity when we were at the salt meeting, but I don't want to say that all secular music will make you worldly, because there is some secular music that is about principles that are maybe not necessarily godly, but uh, they're not against the word, and I'm not saying that you're going to do yourself great harm. And, and having those in there. Uh, of course, if you're questioning, not sure, just just leave it out. If anything's a question, just leave it out. But um, uh, there's there's uh, things that don't always sing about God or aren't worship music that is not going to drag you down. There's a lot of Christmas carols out there that we uh, enjoy, and they have absolutely nothing to do with, with God, but they're still nice, and we enjoy them. And you can enjoy those as well, but just be always listening to the music making sure that they're not compromising some things of God because that's one way that the devil gets us to get worldliness in us, especially with through music, because music, I begin to say those things. And we don't want to begin to do that. So let's pick up here at James chapter 4 and verse 11. He says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Just finishing out the passage here. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Now, most sins stem from leaving, two, leaving God out of two areas in our life. The first is our words. And the second is our way. And that is what James talks about here. I'm not saying all sins stem from it, but most sins stem from us leaving God out of our words or out of our way out of the things we do, the plans that we make. And these are two areas where James is dealing with here in these last verses of chapter 4. Now, I still gave you the breakdown here of these uh, these verses, 11 through 17. The first one, 11 through 12, talks about the question, can we judge? The second, 13 through 15, can we plan? Can we make plans? How many have ever heard people say, I always tack on, well, if God would, God willing. And we will address that and take a look at where that comes from in the Word, what that uh, all means. So can we judge? Can we plan? And lastly, can we boast? Can we talk about the things that God has done through us? So these are probably questions that we can have for ourselves. We're going to take a look at what James has to say about them. So here we're taking on the first. 
where James addresses speaking evil of our brother. Now, the one thing he doesn't really get into is uh, um, the intent of the person speaking evil. He doesn't talk about the intent, whether the person is trying to do harm or so forth, uh, because that's really pointless. If you look at a person who picks up a knife in an aggressive way, speaking to them and telling them that knife can hurt somebody when they've already decided they want to, it's kind of pointless. Somebody who picks up a gun with the purpose of shooting at people, it's kind of pointless to tell them that gun can hurt people because that's why they picked it up. That's their intent. People that have gotten into evil speaking to tell them, look, when you do that, uh, and try and talk about some of the intent that is on the inside of them, it's it's ridiculous to do so because they intend to harm others. So to say, look, when you do that, you will harm other people. You will. That's their intention. When we pick up evil speaking, our intention is to do harm. We may not want to admit it, but that is our intention. We cannot get into evil speaking without taking up the, the decision that I decided to do some harm. We may do it to other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. We may do it to people in our family. We may do it to kids, parents, husbands, wives, uh, in-laws, whatever people it might be. We pick up evil speaking because we intend to do some harm. And generally, we intend to do harm to them while building ourselves up or putting ourselves into a better position. So, verse uh, verse um, 11 again. What happens when we judge? And this is really what he wants to focus on. Uh, he's not going to deal with the intent and try and get your intent to change. What he's going to do is try and show you this is what happens when you judge. When you decide, I am going to judge other people. When you decide, I'm going to pick up on evil speaking. These are the things that begin to go on. These are the results of it. So he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother judges his brother, speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. So three things you accomplish when you speak evil of your brother. He says, first off, when you speak evil of your brother, you judge the brother. You have become a judge of that brother. And again, I'm not going to keep saying it, but brothers and sisters are accept, are accepted. So it's not just the guys that are included here. It's, uh, it's, it's whoever. So they speak evil. The brother judges the brother. They speak evil of the law. I don't think most people understand why that would be. But they speak evil of the law. And third, they judge the law. But if you judge the law, he says, if you, we, we go into that one, if you become a judge of the law, you're not a doer of the law. But a judge. So here's his concise thing. This is what you do when you decide to speak evil of one another. Now, speaking evil of one another is simply if I see somebody, a brother or sister. We're not talking about the world now. We are talking about brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean that you're free to talk all the evil you want to about the world. But the rules that he's talking about here are between brothers and sisters. The world will in Embrace evil and because they are evil people. They are of an evil system. There may be some that look more good than others, but they are still of the world system. They will have evil about them. No matter how much they uh, sugarcoat it or put nice things on it on the outside. But brothers and sisters, they're supposed to be different, aren't they? And we have different expectations of people that call themselves to be brothers or sisters. And so when I see a brother or a sister, someone in the family of God, who begins to do something that I consider to be evil, I go to other people and I begin to speak to them. Did you see, did you hear about what brother so-and-so did? And we begin to speak this. This is the evil speaking that he is that he is talking about. Now, it is amazing here to me that even though his church has been scattered all over the, the empire, he still hears that this is going on. Because he says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law. This is all present tense, which means in the Greek, when we use the present tense, it means it is going on. It's not that it has gone on and stopped, and it's not that it might be going on in the future. It is going on now. That's what he is addressing addressing with him. Now, speaking evil is not just speaking lies, as you don't have to lie to defame I don't have to speak a lie. 
about someone to put them down. If I have, if I decide that I want to speak evil of Miss Ethel, I don't have to speak a lie. I can take the truth and just do something uh, fun with it. I put some things in your outline here for you. Uh, speaking the truth to the wrong people or with the wrong motives or purpose is the same thing as speaking evil. If I speak the truth, this did occur. But with the wrong people. I, I don't need to be telling this person over here about what so and so did. There's no reason for me to tell them that this is, this has occurred. But I do it because, uh, there's a, there's an evil intent. You cannot get past the fact that there is an evil intent. That's why we went out there and we decided to do that. <laughs> I'll bet if this person knows that this, uh, that this went on and, and that this happened. Can you imagine this? Say that somebody in the body of Christ decided to bless somebody else and they bought them uh, a new pair of shoes. Say that uh, somebody went out in the church and they bought Miss Ethel a new pair of shoes and came in on Sunday and blessed her with these new pair of shoes. And I happened to be seeing those new pair of shoes and I, I saw them and I happened to know, because I knew Miss Ethel, that she already had that pair of shoes. And I, I saw Miss Ethel cordially accept, well, thank you very much. For, that was very kind of you. And then I can go away and I could speak the truth. And I could say, Miss Ethel didn't really appreciate that because I happen to know she already has that pair of shoes. And that was not as much of a blessing as she Now, see, I have taken truth, but I've spoken it to the wrong people. And I've spoken it with the wrong motives. And what I have spoken that is true, I have intended with evil. So I do not always have to speak lies in order to accomplish this. I can do it by speaking the truth. Now, very often I've run into people, and you probably have too, where they have a knack for listening to what is going on around them and using whatever they hear against them uh, and, and telling other people uh, things later on. Well, they said, well, I heard, well, they did, and I'll begin to speak all, all these things. And to people who really have no no basis for it. And this is a, another way we can do it. So when he talks about evil speaking, he does not classify it as speaking lies, speaking falsehoods. Because evil speech can be truth as much as it can be what is false. But it's just spoken with the wrong motives and to the wrong people. So keep that in mind when you, when you think about this. And I made a note in, in my outline. Can we have a quarrel with someone without evil speech becoming a part? Is it possible to quarrel with someone without evil speech becoming a part? Not necessarily starting it, but if you keep going on with that quarrel, evil speech finds its way in, doesn't it? Evil intent, hurtful intents, these, these things can begin to come up. So, he says, do not speak evil again as present tense. So it's something that is going on now. If I embrace evil speech, I wrote it right out of here for you so you could see it, not just in the passage, but we judge my brother, we speak evil of all, and we judge the law. Now, J- James is not saying not to judge at all. Just not this way. And this is why he starts off with do not speak evil instead of do not judge. If he would have come out here and says, do not judge, it probably would have changed our, our whole context of this. But he comes out and he says, do not speak evil. He says, when you speak evil, you embrace judging. So judging can include evil speech, but it is not, not, not all judging is evil speech. So that's why he, he starts off, don't speak evil about other people. Now, I couldn't include this one in your outline. As you can see, I had to get rid of all the blank spaces and then there was still stuff that I had to take out to uh, to get it all in there. But uh, you can either just remember this. I, I, I'm sure I've heard this other places. It's not unique to me. But backbiting is saying in their absence what I won't say in their presence. Backbiting is saying in a person's absence what I won't say in their presence. That's what backbiting is. Flattery is saying in their presence what I don't say in their absence. 
if I'm flattering somebody, that I begin to say things to them when I'm in front of them, but when I'm away from them, I don't say that. I don't want to say that. But backbiting is when they're here, I don't say any of these things, but as soon as they go away, then I begin to speak this stuff. And that's how we know we, we, we come into backbiting or into flattery. Always make sure that if you're going to say something about someone, it is also something you are willing to say to them. Otherwise, keep your mouth shut. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If I get into evil speaking, and I begin to go to other people and speak evil of my brother, I am not fulfilling that scripture. If a man is overtaken overtaken in any trespass, doesn't matter what the trespass is. He didn't limit it to certain ones. He didn't say especially these ones. He said any trespass. If they, if this trespass is overtaken them, you who are spiritual, if you consider yourself to be a spiritual person, then you need to go up there and restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Now, pride won't do this in the spirit of gentleness. Pride is, is, is it's proud. It's going to go in there and show who I am. And how little you are. We have to go in with that humbleness that we need to have. He says, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Most people in pride, I can't ever, I won't ever fall into that. I've never done that. I've never gone that way. Bear one another's burdens. Well, if I'm evil speaking, I'm certainly not doing any of the bearing of the burden. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 reads this way. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Evil speech will not try and keep any unity at all. It's trying to break it up. It's trying to get people from a unity into be part of my group, be part of those who see me as somebody good, somebody better than this one over here. But he says, don't be doing that. Have a walk worthy of your calling with which you were called. And when we're going to walk that way, walk with lowliness, walk with gentleness, walk with long-suffering, walk in such a way as to bear with one another in love. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Now, he really makes it clear here for us. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. (laughs) Obviously, worldly people do worldly things. And he's not saying don't keep company with worldly people. He was saying in verse 11, but now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner. Not even to eat with such a person. Now, that's interesting. Are we willing to go to that extreme? That if we know that certain brethren are caught up in these particular things, and he doesn't say any trespass, he lists certain ones, those that are sexually immoral. Now, sexually immoral does not mean that uh, they slip up on a sexual sin every now and then or fall into that here and there. It's that they have decided, I am going to live different from how the Bible tells me I should live sexually. And that's their, that's their lifestyle. That's what they're going to do. So, I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So those people who want to hang on to judge not lest ye be judged have to just cut this entire section out of their Bible because you can't handle this teaching with judge not lest ye be judged. But what he's saying here is we're not here to judge the world. But those that are inside the body of Christ, when they step into a wrong area, this is something that we are to judge. So obviously, James is not talking about do not judge. He's saying do not get caught up in evil speaking. 
to get caught up in evil speaking is a form of judgment that you are not equipped for, that you are not called to. Now, let me read that verse 11 here from the Williams translation. Stop talking against one another, brothers. Whoever is in the habit of talking against their brother or of criticizing his brother is criticizing and condemning the law. But if you are in the habit of criticizing the law, you are not a practitioner, a practicer, but a critic of the law. So we have to make sure that we don't, we don't fall into these particular areas, that we don't get into a, a place where I begin to, to, uh, to make these kind of judgments. That I begin to evil speak. I look at what someone does. I decide, well, I don't think that that's good. I don't think that's right. And I'm going to tell brother and sister so-and-so over here about what brother and sister so-and-so over here is doing. And let them know and begin to spread to other people about what it is that they're doing. Because I'm not really at a good position to be able to get into all these things. Now, he goes on here to say, let's read the whole passage again. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Therefore, is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. We are not able to save. We might be able to be capable of some kind of destruction, but not the kind of destruction that the lawgiver is able. He is able to destroy a soul. All we can do is do something to the body. And he's talked about that in other other places. Who are you to judge another? Let me read Williams verse 12. There is but one lawgiver and judge, the one who has the power to save and to destroy. Then who are you that you presume to judge your brother? So what gives the lawgiver the, the power is his ability to save and to destroy, which is something we do not have. Now this judgment seat was made for one who knows. Knows certain things. He has knowledge of things that we do not have knowledge of. Now again, there's only one lawgiver who is able to give and to judge the law. So who are we to just stand and condemn? And this is the kind of judgment that he's talking about is the kind of judgment that condemns. We put our, get this part, we put ourselves in a seat made by God and for God and to wear robes made by God and for God and see nothing wrong with this. I think about uh, little kids. One of the things that I know in in our household, you know, we had a household, two, two brothers, two sisters, household of four. And, you know, there's always squirmishes going, that go on. And uh, one of the things we would always uh, fight over is uh, is seats. And, uh, you know, watching the, the grandkids and you, you watch them, you know, if uh, uh, the one is sitting in a seat, well, the other one wants it just because the other one was in it. And so as soon as they get up and get out of it, well, that one jumps into that seat. And that was my seat. <laughs> well, you got up. <laughs> and so there's a battle over seats. And when we get into evil speaking, we're getting into a battle over seats. I'm trying to take God's seat. Now, the judgment seat was made for one who knows a few things. And I wrote them down, or left you blanks here for them. The first thing that the judge needs to know is the actions. I simply don't know all that they did, only what I saw. I don't know all the actions that a person has completed, only the ones I saw. If I understood the other actions that they participated in, it might give me clarity on the actions that I saw. But I didn't see those actions. I only saw the ones that I saw. If I saw the other actions, then we... um, then we can understand. And certainly we saw this in brothers and sisters growing up. That certain brothers and sisters like to get the other one in trouble. And like to do things to the other. And but you know those ones aren't always aren't always called. Those were not the ones that are always seen. And so I have to tell you the story. My before my sister would like to do things and and uh, uh, to aggravate a situation. And then if I reacted to it, then uh, I'd get in trouble because I was the the one that reacted to it. But if you saw the whole thing that was going on, it would give you clarity. 
as to what had gone on. But if all that you did was see that particular thing that happened, then uh, we get angry. And sometimes as parents, we're not able to see all the things that go on. We just heard the loudest noise. We just saw the last thing that was thrown or whatever it might be. And we judged that one action, but I didn't get to see the other actions that had gone on or the endurance that the one sibling uh, endured before they decided to act. That would give me some clarity. But you see, as a as a person, I'm not able to see all those things. So when I stand as a judge, as an evil speaker, I am condemning their actions based on the few that I saw. And that's not something you can do. God sees all the actions. He sees everything. Now, here's the second one. Opposition. I don't know what they faced or if I would have done better. If I faced the same thing they did. That was something Brother Higgins shared with us. With uh, when he was, he just got roped into uh, speaking against another brother, and didn't really have any intent to to go in that way. Just kind of roped into it. If you remember the story that where he told that, where he was just in a group of uh, other other ministers, and they had mentioned so and so had done this. What do you think about that? And well, I don't really know too much about it. Well, what do you think? Uh, you know, this is what went on. Well, I guess if that went on, then then uh, that that shouldn't be. That he wasn't trying to pass any any great judgment on, but God came. Uh, came down on him and said, what do you mean judging my servant? (laughs) And one of the things that he had shared with him was, you don't know what he was up against or if you would have done better. So, when I see a brother doing something that I see is wrong, I don't know what opposition they faced and I'm not in a place where I can even pass judgment, let alone be in their evil speaking. But God knows. So here's two things, the actions and opposition. These are things I can't know completely. Here's the third one, victories. What we see as a failure, God may see as a victory. For what that person overcame and what they had not done or what they had done before. Sometimes a a victory, a small thing is a victory. I remember we were telling, I was telling the story of, of, uh, soccer coaching days and there was one particular uh, instance where we were um, uh, playing one of the Warrington teams and our team had a lot of good players on it and we were mopping the floor up with a lot of people out there not because I was any kind of a great coach just because we had a lot of good players on our team and uh, good players make for a good team and so we had a lot of good players and we went up against this one this one team and at halftime we had a pretty uh, a decent lead. I don't think it was a great lead, but it, but you see, it was a good lead because the other team could do absolutely nothing against us, nothing. And we were only winning by I think three to nothing at the end of the half. But um, uh, we were we we just were blowing them out of the water as far as you know, moving the ball around. It was always down in their end. It wasn't down in our end. So at halftime, I pulled them all back together and I said, "Look, um, all my scorers. I took my. I have about four or five really good scorers on the team." And I put them all back on defense or else they were on the bench. They were one place or another. And I told them, I said, now, all you guys that have scored, you know, they could, they could score one, two goals a game. They could score a lot. I said, you cannot shoot on goal. Cannot do it. I don't want to see any of you guys shooting on goal. All you can do is pass it if you're in the offensive end. And, and they did. They, they followed the, the, the things I gave them and they did exactly that. I had my best people in the goal. I had my best people on defense. I had my best people right in the bench. And we put the other people that were that were out there. And so there was this one young man on the team. He was somewhat uh, handicapped. He was not, um, I forget what a handicap was, but there was something mentally there and there was physical things there. So he had a hard time growing up and he just was on the team. And, uh, you know, when you have a public team like that, you get some good ones and some bad ones. And you just have to have some patience with, with this one. Well, he was standing in front of the goal that was there. And one of my good players happened to have been down there. He carried the ball on down. And he knew he couldn't shoot. And so what he did was he passed the ball to this particular guy who really has no talent as far as soccer was concerned. And I didn't really know. You really couldn't get all the all the things into his head that he needed to do out there. But he passed it and maybe passed it a little hard because it hit him bounced off of him and went into the goal. And we scored a goal. <laughs> and this young man, he was thrilled. Oh, he was so happy 
because he scored this first goal he ever scored in his life. He had never scored a goal. We've come close to scoring a goal. He just scored a goal, and it came off of his foot. So he, he was thrilled. His parents were thrilled for him. The team was thrilled for him. Everybody was happy, except the other team. The other team was not happy. And after the end of the game, we had the, you know the customary thing where you go shake hands and all that sort of stuff. And the last ones to go through are the coaches. And so you know, I shook hands with the coaches, and they stopped me and they said, "Hey, we think you uh, uh, really ran up the score." Now we won by a score of five to nothing. To me, five to nothing is not running up the score, especially when we could have easily scored twenty goals without even blinking. We could have scored twenty goals, and I, I, I kind of laughed. I kind of laughed. Oh, you're serious? <laughs> yeah, we think you really ran up the score. You guys have a lot more better players than we did, and we didn't think you needed to do that. I said, you know, the score was only five nothing. And uh, and he kept pressing the matter. And like he was going to take it to the league. I said, you can take it to any league people that you want to. I said, uh, we have plenty of parents over here on the side and, and saw all the different things that we had tried to do to, to keep things down. And I said, it happened to be that one of the boys who scored, that was his first goal he ever scored in his life. And he just took all that, uh, all that, all that good part of it out. And see, he was evil speaking about stuff that he, uh, he didn't know. He didn't know that there was a victory over there for that young man that had never had that victory before. I hoped that he never heard the conversation that had gone on between me and the other coach that uh, that wouldn't have taken anything away from his, his victory. But you see, this is something that we're not always privy to. I don't know the victories that a person has, has come to. I saw the defeat. I saw what they didn't do. But what about the victories that, got, that, that they had that I didn't see? And if I come over there and evil speak about them and they hear about it, then they downplay their own victories. And that victory that they had that they were feeling so good about, now they don't feel so good about that victory. And I had a hand in that because I sat as a judge. So that's another thing that we, we can't tie into. I can't tie into the actions, all the actions that they did. I cannot tie into the opposition that they had. I don't know what came against them spiritually. I don't know what people came against them. I don't know what victories they had. I don't know what they overcame to get there. And here's the, the fourth one. This is one you're probably all familiar with. And that's heart. The heart of the one being judged. I don't know the heart of the one being judged. I don't know the heart of the one I'm speaking evil about. God knows the heart. If they reveal the heart to me, if God reveals the heart to me, there are times in Scripture God revealed a heart. He told them what was going on. He revealed it to Jesus. He revealed it to some of the prophets. This is their heart. This is what's going on. But if God doesn't reveal that to me, if the other people don't reveal that to me, I don't know what the heart is. Now, since we're missing all these parts, here's what happens. We fill in the blanks with whatever we think, whatever we feel, or whatever we assume to be right. Now, if I have all, if I have four blanks in there that I need to fill in order to make a proper judgment, I need to know all the actions that are going on. I need to know all of the opposition they were against. I need to know all the victories that they had and I need to know their heart and I don't have all those things and so I make assumptions on them. Well, this is the problem because I'll make assumptions and I'm assuming those things are right and they may be completely wrong and the judgment I come up with is wrong and the evil speaking I am doing is doing great damage to the people that are there but I'm okay with it because I intended to do this. Now, every once in a while, I've spoken against some of the things the new media, news media does. And this is one of the reasons why I don't like what they do, is because they are not looking at all these things that are there. They begin to evil speak about different people. And there's been a number of different situations just over the last couple of years. We've highlighted a few of them. I've had to let most of them go, but I highlighted a few. You know, there's that one down in Florida where they actually took the 911 call and edited it and changed the order of how things were said so that they could make it appear. That was ABC who came out and did that. And so they can make it appear that things were, were a certain way. We've seen, I think, NBC actually altered videotape. We saw, uh, I think it was NBC again, who actually came out and um, took videotape from something completely unrelated to what they were reporting on to say that this was the same same thing and led people to believe a certain thing. Way back back in the, in the Bush days, you remember when um, it was a Dan Rather? who fabricated evidence because he wanted the thing to go a certain way and he fabricated, made up forms and they found out, wait a minute, you couldn't have printed this form because uh, they didn't have this kind of a printer uh, at the time that you say this thing was done. 
and so he was caught and then had to lose, lose his job and, and so forth. And uh, uh, just about every time that they begin to publicize any kind of thing going on in court, any kind of wrongdoing that is out there, just know whatever they're telling you is probably wrong. Now, I know that the George Floyd thing has just finished up and they had the uh, trial and, and uh, uh, I saw Maxine Waters. She's out there making threats that things didn't go a certain way and she had her people that were all out there. But I wanted to, I don't know if any of you were, were aware of this. And, uh, you know, I saw the video with the, the whole thing and I, that looked pretty condemning to me. But again, I just like to, to leave it in the hands of things. I thought it was interesting if you followed along the court and I didn't follow the court case at all. I listened to some people who did some reviews on it and I saw some of the, the things that they put out. But there were two things that were very curious to me about how this trial went on. Maybe it might be curious to you. First off, it was a murder case. What is the, one of the, one of the things of evidence that you want to present in a murder case? And I'll give you, I'll give you <clears throat> a clue. Uh, Joe Gibbs, or, or what's his name? Uh, Gibbs from, uh, NCIS. Uh, forgot his name already. Yeah, but the character, Gibbs, he comes in there. He always goes down in the basement and he talks to the people that are down there doing the what? The autopsy down in the basement. They do. Why do they do the autopsy on the dead body? Because they want the cause of death. How important in every crime show that you have ever watched is the cause of death when they're investigating a murder? It is pretty substantial. Do you know that the judge ruled in this particular hearing that the autopsy could not be admitted? Rule, there was an autopsy, but it could not be admitted. Now, I don't know why. But I think it's, uh, to me, it's just, it's curious. Why would you have a murder trial and not admit the autopsy? Now, the thing that was talked about was that there was a racial um, connotation in this thing. What is interesting, if you go back and you look at some of the transcripts from the court and the way, the way it was done out, Neither the prosecution nor the defense brought race in. Neither. In the entire trial. So I'm curious, if that's what the news media wanted us to think this was all about, why is it that it didn't come up in the trial on one side or the other? Now those are just two curiosities, things that I have, because I think whenever the news media promotes these things, we are withheld from knowing all of the facts because they want you to have a certain way of looking at this. And I don't know what all went on. I don't, I'm not in a position to hear it. I put, there's authorities that are there and I let them decide what, uh, what had gone on. Again, I told you, I saw the video on it. It sure, it looked pretty condemning just in what I saw, but I know, and I believe even when it came out, I even made the statement, I, it looks pretty condemning, but I don't know. I'm not there, but people that are there, I won't trust them to, uh, to go through this and to, to make it. Don't trust the news media to ever give you the full picture. And don't let them shape anything that comes. No matter what it looks like, make sure you do not get into a place of evil speaking because how easy was it for us to fall in in any of these situations that we saw and begin to speak evil of the people that are involved. And it doesn't matter what side. You could speak evil of the uh, the police side you could be, speak evil of the victim side you could speak evil of the bystander side you could speak evil of the investigate you, there's all kinds of people that you can speak evil against and the temptation is there what james is saying is do not speak evil against a brother well i don't know if they're a brother or not no you don't so stay out of it <laughs> if i don't know if a person's a brother or not i'm going to stay out of it I try uh, with everything in me to stay out of speaking evil against situations I don't know because I don't know and because I know what this thing teaches. Now, let's get into the real power of why we need to stay out of this. We'll find this over here in Romans chapter 2 and verse 12. First off, if I become a judge of the law, I cease being a doer of it. In Romans 2 and verse 12, For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Who is justified? The doers. So if I become a judge of the law, I cease being a doer of the law. If I cease being a doer of the law, how am I justified?
If I'm just a hearer of the law, I just hear the law, but I don't do it. I need to be more than just a hearer. Don't become a judge of the law. The enemy is conniving. He will always try and find a way to lure us in to becoming an evil speaker, to becoming a judge of the law, because he knows the implications that are involved if he can get us to do it. Just don't give in to it. Laugh at him. I see what you're doing. I see how you're trying to bring this about. I am not going to speak evil. I'm not going to do it. I'm staying out. God doesn't have to become a doer of the law. As the law is a reflection of who he is. That's why he can be the judge. He does not have to be a doer of the law. Because the law that he gave to Moses. The law that he gave in the in the the Word of God, is a reflection of who He already is. And it's only a reflection. He's even better than the reflection. He does not have to be a doer of the law. He gave the law to say, this is the character of God. Now we have to become that. So He does not have to be a doer of the law, therefore He can be a judge of the law. If we speak against our brother, we say that we have a better way than God who said to love our brother. Isn't that what we're doing? This is why he says you become a judge of it. I become a judge of the law. And we'll look at a couple of verses of scripture to help you with this. First off, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 16. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. Hmm. Talebearer, evil speaker. You see the same thing? Nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, just to give you the better trans, another translation on this, give you a, a different view. The New American Standard Bible reads this way. You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, one more version. This is the Amplified. Amplified adds something here. You shall not go around as a gossip among your people. And you are not to act against the life of your neighbor with slander or false testimony. I am the Lord. Sometimes we act against the life of another person by offering testimony that is false, which is evil speech. It didn't actually happen that way, but this is how I want you to see it. And we begin to speak about something in an evil way. Let's go on with this. Leviticus 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now let me read the New Living Translation for verse 18. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Comfort, brethren, you should put in there. Comfort people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Comfort people directly so you not be held guilty for their sin. If you see something going on, get with that person and help them directly. Um, whoops. In the ESV, it says this way. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor. That's lest you incur sin because of him. So what he's, what this is saying here is this. Do not Look upon what a brother does and develop hatred for him. You need to go to that person and you need to have a frank conversation and listen to what they have to say, listen to what God has to say and get to a place where, you, where you're not hating each other. You're not angry. They're not trying to harm each other. You're not trying to come against the life of another person. This is what we're supposed to go. That was back in the book of Leviticus. Now, Matthew 22, verse 34 says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment of in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What he just quote? Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the first thing is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second, just like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang the law and the prophets. So he's saying everything hangs on these two commandments. 
So if I come against the commandment to love my neighbor, I am coming against all of them. Which is why James writes, you have become a judge of the law. If I get into evil speaking. You see how great this is? And how easy we fall into it as Christians. Now, something is awry if I say Jesus is Lord. How many people go around saying Jesus is Lord? If I say Jesus is Lord, I am submitted to Him. He is in charge. This is what I'm saying. When I say Jesus is Lord, I am saying I am submitted to Him. He is in charge. Isn't that right? Something is awry if I say Jesus is Lord and then sit in His seat. How can I say that Jesus is Lord and then go and take His seat? Put on his robes. He is no longer Lord, is he? I've taken over. So I can say Jesus is Lord, but when I get involved in evil speaking, I am basically going against that statement. And that's kind of the crux of Christianity, isn't it? Jesus is Lord. Do not sit in his seat. All right, let's get through this. Luke chapter 10. And behold, verse 25, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So he quoted this verse too. So who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now the priest and the Levite walked past and passed judgment on the way. Didn't they? <clears throat> if you see a guy lying down on the ground and he's bleeding, he's still alive, and you pass by, isn't there some kind of a judgment you have, have to pass? You're either thinking, well, I guess he got what was coming to him. I guess if evil fell down upon him, then he deserved it. I'm not going to stand in the way of whatever God's doing on that. I'm just going to walk over here on the other side. So they both passed by and passed judgment. They didn't have all the facts of what was going on. And they didn't try and get them. They decided that their assumptions of what was going on in this situation was all that they needed. Either an assumption that I don't have time, what I'm doing is is more important than me stopping and taking care of this guy. Whatever it is, and we, we don't know exactly what it is. Jesus didn't give us all the details. But we know that's, that you cannot see the man there. They passed on the other side. They saw him there. You cannot just pass by and go over here and not help him out without coming to some kind of a judgment. And deciding, I don't need to. I shouldn't. He doesn't deserve. I don't know what it is that they came to. But somehow they came to a place that he didn't need. He didn't deserve. They didn't want. God didn't want whatever it was. Now, how much mercy do we show when we speak evil of one another? Zero. Yep. Jesus said, which of them, which of them do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, what? Go and do likewise. You want to follow this area of scripture? One of the things that the whole law hangs on? Show mercy. The enemy loves getting us into evil speaking because he knows we show no mercy. So when channel 6, channel 3, 
NBC, MSNBC, all these guys decide to flash up on the screen some things and get your emotions going, you need to be on guard. Because what they're trying to do is get you into evil speaking or in a situation that you do not know. And to get you into a place where you do not extend mercy and are not acting in a neighbor neighboring way. Don't fall for it. Don't do it. There is no place for three types of judgment. I gave you the blanks here. I'm going to fill them in. There is no place for self-righteous judgment. I am righteous. They are not. There is no place for that kind of judgment. There is no place for hypocritical judgment where I practice the very thing that I judge someone else doing because there's reasons for why I'm doing it, but there's no reason for them to be doing it. That's hypocritical judgment. The Pharisees were constantly doing this kind of thing. And Jesus called them on it a number of times. Here's the last one. There is no place for Lord of the law judgment. I am not the one who can save and destroy. I am not the one who is in the seat of the lawgiver. I am the one who needs to be a doer of the law. There is no place for self-righteous judgment. There is no place for hypocritical judgment. And there is no place for Lord of the law judgment. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 5, this is the scripture I'm sure most people think of when they think about judging. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is why when, when uh, again, with the, these cases that these news media like to throw out, the enemy loves to get you into a place where you are passing judgment on yourself. Because you don't see it as doing it to yourself. You see it as doing it to these unscrupulous people that are up there on the on the TV who've done all these evil things that people caught them on videotape doing. For what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with me- the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own? Now, most people stop reading there. I have no reason to judge other people because I'm in worse shape than they are. He is not saying that. Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He does not ever say, don't remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says, take care of yourself first. Get yourself in a position. Do the preparation. There's things you have to do to prepare yourself. Make sure you're in a humble mindset. Make sure you're in a place to restore and to help. Once you get the plank out of your own eye, you can get in there and you can help them out. Now, grace has been called undeserved favor. And when I stand as, uh, when I stand as James points out, I say, I deserve grace, but my brother does not. When I get into evil speaking, I say, I deserve grace, but my brother does not. The one that I'm evil speaking about. And yet grace is supposed to be undeserved favor. I didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. But suddenly when I get into evil speaking, I come up with a reason. This is what my thinking goes to. I deserve grace. They don't. And so I speak evil of that situation. When Jesus caught the, was, was, um, with the woman caught in adultery and they brought her to him. He deals with the people that brought her in whatever way that he dealt. We're not really brought into all that, just the writing in the sand. But afterwards, and the woman is, and he is there. That's it. He says, where are those who condemn you? And she said, they're gone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Jesus didn't leave the sin unaddressed. He just didn't address it in a condemning way. And evil speaking will not do this. You cannot get into evil speaking without condemning the person you are speaking evil about. I can't believe that they did. I can't believe that that... Oh, what are they thinking doing? The thing We condemn. And that is not a place that we're supposed to be. You see, the judgment that I'm supposed to be in is the judgment of restoration. Do you know that what you're doing? That the Bible says you shouldn't do it? This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says about his because there's a there's a bad end if you go this way there's a bad end to it i don't want you to see i don't want to see you get into the bad end please take what the bible says repent and change but i don't go off to other people and tell them all 
of what's going on, what's happened with them. I kept it between me and them because I'm trying to restore. Another place in Scripture, it says, if you see your brother missing it, stepping out, go and, and talk to him. If they don't listen to you, go grab one or two others. If they don't listen to you, then bring them before the church. We don't have time to get in all these passages, so some of them I'm just referring to. But there's a, there's one in particular. I didn't get to write this one in there, so Daryl pulled it up for me. And I, I wanted you to see We're going to read through this kind of fast. Um, there's a lot of verses here, but I want you to see something. And I want you to, I, I, I could tell this to you and you all could, you could think of it, but I want you to see it in the scripture. This is uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. What do we know about what the son did? It's not that we don't know anything. What we do know is that he wasted his possessions and the way that he wasted it is called prodigal living. That is all that we know. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I will perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father's house, or go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck, kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Do you, anybody, anywhere in here, do you get the idea that the father has been going around evil speaking about the son? Does the father have an attitude that he has been evil speaking about the son? It's not in the passage. I just want you to take a, take a note of that. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Now was older son was in the field and he, as he came and drew near to the house he heard music and dancing and so he called one of the servants and asked what these things mean and he said to him your brother has come and because he has received him safe and sound your father has killed the fatted calf but he was angry and would not go in therefore his father came out and pleaded with him so he answered and said to his father lo these many years I have been serving you I never transgressed your commandment at any time and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. I was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. We can see that the brother is so filled with judgment and evil speech that he doesn't even call him his brother. But take a look at this, verse 30. But as soon as the son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. How do we know that? You see, there were some blanks in what this son knew about his brother. And he filled them in. He probably filled them in a long time ago. He didn't even know the son was home. The younger son was home. He did not hear any of the reports. He filled in all these blanks on his own. Evil speech is based on things where people have filled in their own blanks. And now we have a news media that likes to fill in those blanks for you. And now we look to them and say, well, the media said, the news said, and we begin to speak the things that they said, but they weren't founded on truth to begin with. And our evil speech is based upon things that are not true and that are false. And it has pulled us into the wrong direction. I put this in your outline for you. It's a little bit longer of a blank, but I think you can squeeze it in. There is a difference between one who speaks from a seat of judgment about another brother. There is a difference between one who speaks from a seat of judgment about another brother and one who speaks to a brother as a messenger 
of the one in the judgment seat. There is a difference between the one who speaks from a seat of judgment about another brother and one who speaks to a brother as a messenger of the one in the judgment seat. We are to be the second of those. We are the messengers of the one in the judgment seat. And our message to them needs to be the one in the judgment seat is a God of mercy and grace. Come to Him and repent and mercy and grace will be yours. That needs to be our message. But evil speech does not have this. Evil speech is condemning. It is judging. And it is putting ourselves over the entire law. When we speak evil about our kids, when we speak evil about our parents, when we speak evil about our spouses, when we speak evil about our friends, when we speak evil about the people in church, when we speak evil about the people on TV that we see, that we don't know whether they're brother or sister. When we hear people report about other brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, other parts of the country, and we hear what they say, and the temptation is to begin to speak evil about what other people are doing, what we are told other people are doing. Don't take Jesus' seat. It's His. Don't put on Jesus' robe. You have your own. You have your own robe of righteousness that you are to put on. You are not to put on the robe of a judge. Not a judge who condemns. Because we cannot give life and we should not try to destroy. When we see things that go on in the body of Christ, we are thankful that we, or that we think are harmful or they just bug us. <laughs> you ever see stuff? It just bugs you. It is tempting to think that God needs our help. So we step in. God, I see this stuff that's going on. This is harmful. This is this. This is kind of stuff that shouldn't go on in the body of Christ. I see this going on. I'm going to step in here and take care of it. Because obviously you're a little busy. Or you would have taken care of this yourself. I'll step in and help you out. Know your limits or your boundaries. The one that God has put on you. Not man or religion. And operate there. This is where we are to be. Too many times Christians feel more free to operate outside the boundaries that God has set up for us than within them. I would rather operate as an evil speaker and go over here and pass judgment than I would talk to somebody about where they've missed it, about where the Word of God has said this and to help restore them. I'd much rather talk about and operate in the area where God said, stay out of here. I'm more comfortable than I am approaching someone and saying, do you know this is not the way to go? And if they don't respond, it's not my role to go out there and tell everybody how evil they are and how bad they are and what kind of things have gone on. It's my role to help restore them. If I'm not in a place that I can restore them, then I need to go on. I need to just leave it alone. There are all kinds of temptations. The enemy is working hard to get the church to speak evil about many situations. Do not give in. Understand whose tactics these are. These are not God's tactics. God does not need your opinion to be stated. Don't fall into it. James is ripping into his church in this area because he knows this is huge. This is huge. Don't get into this. He's been talking to them about their mouth. He's been talking about their tongues. He's been talking about empowering their faith with the things that they say. Now, don't go over there and begin to begin to get into this evil speech. What are you doing with the words that come out of your mouth? They're supposed to be powerful. They're supposed to be creative. They're supposed to be healing. Here you are creating destruction and it's not destruction of the judge that our God would do. It's destruction of the enemy, the one who's against our God. Don't follow his pattern. Father, I thank you for the words that you give us. I think everyone here has fallen in at one time or another into evil speech. We have said things about our brothers, about our sisters, 
even about people that we don't know if they're brothers or our sisters, and we shouldn't have said it. We came into a place of judgment on those that you are to judge. We don't know their victories. We don't know the opposition. We don't know their heart. All we know is a few of their actions. We are not equipped to make judgments on what they did, how they went about it, what kind of end result should be there. But you will give us the help that we need to keep us on the road that we're supposed to be on. We are people sent out from the judge to help those who are in the path that he doesn't want them to be on. They are in a path to receive things that the judge does not want them to receive. And we're to help them to get off that path. Thank you for using us. And even though we may have fallen into evil speech in the past, we can repent and go in the right direction. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.